Some of it's really, really bad. A lot of it's really, really bad. Yeah, well, I didn't want to say that and be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 13 of On Taking Pictures, a weekly podcast where we talk about the art and the science behind making images. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from Faded and Blurred, and with me is Bill Wadman, editorial portrait photographer living in the lovely Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> Otherwise known as Crooklyn. <laughs> wow. You uh, see that? I really don't think it is anymore, though. We're just dripping with flavor because here. <laughs> Brooklyn is, you know, where I live, it's all, you know, nannies and... Isn't it strollers and soccer yeah, it's, moms it's, and yeah, things? it's totally yeah. strollers. A, a couple of few weeks ago when I was watching my nephew, I, I took him to the local YMCA has a... I, oh, God, I can't remember what it's called. It's, it was something like um, Story Shake and Shimmy or something. <laughs> You know, something where you go... And was you this pay, a dance class you yeah, were hosting? You, you, you go and you pay like 10 bucks and you could bring a kid in there and then this woman like reads stories and, you know, does the alphabet and then puts on uh, Elvis songs and brings out a bubble machine and the kids run around. That sounds like my last birthday party. But the thing was is that it was just full of like hot moms. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, and you're like, hey, this is my nephew. <laughs> I was like, this is this is just my nephew. How you doing? <laughs> How'd that yeah. work out for you? Yeah, it didn't didn't work out at all. <laughs> so that's not really my game. Yeah. Um But anyway. But we digress. Uh hey, last week I uh I complained about fashion photography. Was that all you complained about? I complained about all kinds of things apparently, <laughs> but apparently the fact that I said that fashion photography was easy struck a chord. But you, you qualified it. You didn't. You, what did I a say? Certain, I don't a certain type of fashion photography. Okay. You know, you, you you definitely acknowledge. Yeah, you probably offended some people, but, but you definitely acknowledge that yeah. there are, you know, people out there that are that are working very hard and doing some amazing things with fashion. And there are, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, but a couple of people, including uh, uh, Charles Silverman, on our on our uh, on our blog there, the uh, listener, yeah commented in and said uh he said the the core of fashion photography is about the ideal uh where i believe portraiture is about truth true I, i'll agree with that okay uh in fashion photography fashion shoot you have beautiful hair makeup clothing and someone is very comfortable in front of the camera but the expectation is much higher yeah but i think the expectation is easy to meet based on those circumstances um Basically, you know, everyone's people it requires perfection of all of the collaborators, which I think is is somewhat true. But I think that I think that people's appetite is a little bit lower than perfection. Um, and well, that, I think and the aesthetic true, is changing. True. And that true fashion photography, he says, is more about the fashion than the girl, which is totally true. Um, but I don't think if you open up Vogue and it's, you know, some girl on the street. I don't think that that's about the dress as much as it is like the girl, the beautiful woman on the street in the beautiful dress, like hailing a cab or whatever she's doing. Sure. Um, but there's a, there's also a big difference between the vision of the photographers. I mean, you look at somebody that, you know, if you contrast somebody like Paolo Reversi or Melissa Rodman or something with Terry Richardson, 
those are completely different processes, True. completely different end results, completely True. different aesthetics, etc. Yeah, Terry um, Richardson is, one, is you know, huh? nothing. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Chime in. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say bad things. Come about on, Terry I love Richardson. your Terry Richardson comments. <laughs> you know, I could take pictures with on camera flash too. Um, <laughs> but it's it's you know it's it's very different, and somebody like you know again using like Paolo Reversi or something as an example there there's a difference in in approach and there's a different result and and is one better than another i don't know i guess it depends on on you know what you're trying to accomplish but um but see i, mean, I, I think they both accomplish something true but i think paulo paulo's pictures though you look at them and i don't see them as about the clothing as much i mean i think they're beautiful pictures and i think they are art but I think that they are beautiful pictures of beautiful women before they're beautiful pictures of clothing being worn by beautiful women. You know. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, I love his work, but you understand what I'm saying. I think. Sure. I think. I think you could swap out the clothes, and those pictures are still those pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the picture, so the clothing it, is very nice, but I think it's an accessory to the girl, at least in his thing. So I guess the question is. What is fashion photography? Is there is there a difference between beauty photography and fashion photography? Okay. You know, um, where, where you know, the kind of stuff they take of, for example, is um, uh, Mario Testino. Is that fashion photography or is that beauty photography? I, see, I don't know. I can, I can see arguments for both ways. Right. Uh, I lean towards here. beauty photography. Mm-hmm. Where the fashion is is just an element of a beautiful picture, the purpose is not to take pictures of fashion. And if the per, per, uh, the purpose is to take pictures of fashion, then the pictures get pretty boring pretty quick. You know, okay. then a JC Penny catalog is fashion photography. You know, on some level it is. I yeah. mean, yes, it's catalog, but it's yeah. still. But here we are on a white background, you know, shooting somebody in a studio, a beautiful girl with 15 different dresses on. Okay, well, that's fine. But and I guess that's true fashion photography. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think all the rest of this stuff sort of becomes. I don't know. It's it's somewhere between art and beauty and fashion. It's like that tempest in the center but i think that ultimately if the person is not beautiful the clothes are not going to look good you know do you Uh, think the lines between beauty and fashion and art uh, in in terms of photography have changed since you know avidon started and, and sort of took fashion out into the street well i mean if you look at like avidon's earlier work like the stuff in paris with the girl playing pinball and stuff or whatever it was right 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 um i think those are beautiful photos and i and i argue maybe incorrectly that you know I, I don't see that fashion photography has come that far since then because you look at through the magazines and that's the kind of stuff people are still doing today mm-hmm. um you know except for the avant-garde stuff um and so it's 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 and and that i guess is about i guess it gets to the point where is it about the clothes or is it selling the lifestyle you know uh, and I'm not saying See, lifestyle shots in sort of like the, oh, here's the mom in the backyard sitting right, in a beautiful... Right, like, right, right. But the, you know, actual, like sort of the fashion lifestyle shots. The sure, sort of, sure. you buy this dress and your life will be fabulous kind of stuff. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, that stuff drives me nuts. Does it really? I think it's beautiful work. It just drives me nuts that that sells, you know. 
It's because it's like, this is obviously not true. This is obviously false. You know, if, if I if I bought a uh, Tag Hauer watch right now, is that how you pronounce that? I have no idea. Okay, if I go buy a Rolex right now, that there is not go. going to make me, you know, a cool businessman Don Draper type. You right, know? right. I'm just going to be me with a Rolex watch, which might be a very beautiful watch, but it's not going to suddenly make you know, women crawl all over me because I'm drinking Grey Goose vodka instead of Stoli, you know, but that's that not how it works, but that's how the ads work. Right. I mean, sure. I mean, look, I did advertising for years. That's the game. And in some ways, once, once you're like making advertising, you're sort of immune to advertising because you're looking at everything as work. Right. You know? Right. 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 Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And so anyway, I think, I think, uh, I think he's got a point. Uh, Charles, uh, but I, I don't know. I still, I still sit by the thing that says that if you have beautiful people with beautiful hair and beautiful clothes, taking pictures of them is a lot easier than spending a couple hours with somebody trying to get one good shot of them. That's true. I guess his point of it being truth versus ideal is, is true. Um, I just, I guess I just lean more towards the truth. Than the idea. That's that's kind of where you land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where I prefer to go. But you know, to each his own. Uh, so we got a couple questions. Uh, yes. Do you want to answer those now or later? Sure, let's do them now. Okay. Uh, number one, uh, guy was asking. Uh, Robbie writes in and says, uh, "When I look through the viewfinder, and I'm using a prime wide open." I perceive a larger depth of field than I see in the final image. The aperture preview button does not make the depth of field seem any more shallow. Uh, why am I getting this result? Do you have any tips for shooting with ex- more extreme depth of field than your viewfinder renders? Uh, he's using an AP- APS-C Nikon with AFS lenses without manual aperture rings. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, first of all, what you see... Okay. There, there is what's called a focusing screen in an SLR, which uh, has effect has an effect on the depth of field. Um, the more light it shows through, the more shallow the depth of field, and you can actually get. Uh, uh, um, actually, wait, did I say that wrong? It's darker. Try, Try yeah, again. You know what? If if you <laughs> when you let more light through <laughs> Take the two. <laughs> well, not the aperture. I'm just thinking about the the focusing screen because I've replaced them in my old 5D. In the old 5D, you could replace the focusing screen with a matte focusing screen, which made it a little darker, but the sh- depth of field was even shorter, was smaller, so that when you were shooting with really really like wide primes, you could actually get a better estimate of what the real depth of field is in the picture. So the matte screen was more accurate. To what, uh, to what the final photograph would, yes, would be. Yes, but, okay. you know, it made it harder to, uh, it was a little bit darker. So a lot of people didn't like it, but I liked it. So you could you used to be able to swap out uh, matte screens. So I guess what I'm saying is that just because the light is coming through your lens and you're looking through a viewfinder doesn't mean that you're seeing exactly what the film, the, the sensor is going to see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you are in aperture priority or manual and you stop down the lens so that, you know, it's at, let's say, let's say your lens is normally F 2.8, just to give a thing. Okay. Um, and you stop it down to F eight and you press the depth of field preview button. The depth of field issue. First of all, the viewfinder should get a lot darker. And secondly, the, the depth of field should seem, uh, a lot depth of field preview is going to make it. If anything, it's going to make the depth of field deeper 
not more shallow. Your 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 viewfinder and your SLR camera is always wide open whenever it can be. That's the whole point of depth of field preview because you want as much light and you want to be able to see through it. So when you actually take the picture, that's when the lens stops down. Um, does that make sense? Sure. Okay. I, so, I, I could never really see the point of depth of field preview buttons. It never really looked that different to me. Uh, well, see, that's the thing. If you stop down enough, it would look different. But the problem is that then the viewfinder gets so dark, you can't see what's in it anyway. Okay. You know, that's always what happens to me. Some people say that it's good for uh, landscape people, you know, okay. who want to check to see if things are in depth of field. But with with uh, digital, just take the picture and then look at the, you know, look yeah. at the depth of field on the final image. Um, I, I never use my depth of field preview button unless I hit it by accident. Which uh, on a Canon camera, I don't know if it does on a Nikon too. If you have a flash installed, it pulses the flash like in high speed sync mode, hmm. which is just kind of funny, which is like an easy way to see if your flashes are actually doing what they're doing. I've um, never used the depth of, I don't even know if my, I'm sure it's got one, but I've never even used it. Yeah. On so this camera. So Robbie, the answer is, is that uh, your, what you see through the viewfinder without the depth of field preview button uh, is as wide open as your camera is going to show you, unless you change out the uh, focusing screen for a more matte one uh, in cameras that can do that, which your APS-C Nikon probably does not have uh, swappable focusing screens because that's a pretty rare thing. Um, and that if you want, if you want to, if, but if you're using, he's using AFS lenses, a lot of those, are those fast? A lot of the cropped lenses, those are the crop lenses, right? Yeah, they're fast. I mean, you can get how fast? Well, I don't know. Is are, are there are there like one point four primes in in? Uh, there's a fifty one four. Okay. Um, I think there's an eighty five one four and one two. If I if okay. memory serves. So I guess the answer is that you're also going to get less shallow depth of fields with a cropped sensor camera. Period. Right. That's one of the advantages of a full frame camera is that you can get more shallow depth of field. Um, and it's not, it's, it's just because of the distance between you and the subject and, and the focal length of your lens. But the practical upshot of it is that you generally get more depth of field in smaller sensors, which is why your phone has a deeper depth of field. Like a little compact camera has a deeper depth of field than your SLR. It's because the sensor is smaller. Um, and why when you shoot large format, uh, your depth of field is crazy, crazy, crazy thin. Um, at least when you're shooting wide open and that and wide open on those cameras is like F 5.6. So it's not even like right. it's that wide. Um, so uh, tips for shooting with more extreme depth of field. Uh, if you are wide open on your lens and you take a picture of somebody and you look on your, on the preview and it's not that shallow, well then you're at the limit of your lens and or the sensor. So you either need to get a bigger sensor or a, a more wide open lens. Uh, I usually just make sure that it's in focus. So I'll use the center focus point. I'll focus on their eyes, say, and then I'll recompose, you know, hold down halfway and recompose so that I know their eyes are in focus. Like that's the most important part. Um, I used to know a guy who was a wedding photographer who used to uh, bracket focus when he was shooting really wide on uh, prime lenses. Hmm. Uh, just to make sure he got at least one of them in focus. Right, right, right. Which seemed like a lot of work, but. You it know. does seem like a lot of work, especially yeah. at a wedding where you're kind of under the gun and and you know pretty much always in motion. He was a monster, this guy. He was really, really good. Uh, he's up in Connecticut. Um, so anyway, I hope that helps, Robbie. Uh, if if that doesn't, let us know and we'll we'll answer again. Uh, and then a guy named Terry wrote in 
and asked about taking pictures uh, in the daytime, but stop down so it looks like darkness. You know, it okay, like kind of doing a day for night thing. Yeah. Um, and basically, he's he's just asking if if I ever do that, and and curious how the manipulation will translate into the printing stage. Um, light light is all about ratios, right? You know, the lightest to the darkest. So if it's if you can lower if you can stop down by three or four stops and it looks like it's light or, or nighttime you know because it looks like street lights are really dark or whatever it is but even though it's only uh, uh um, dusk or something um that's how it'll look when it prints you know it's 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 the only time it's a little telling he sent me a picture of um, a hallway uh with like the lights on and the ceiling whatever it is and then there's it's really really dark the only thing that makes this look like daytime to me is at the end of the hallway, there's like an open doorway where light's coming in and kind of flooding the hallway. Okay. Um, and you would never get that at night because it would be kind of even dark, even out in the, sure, out, out sure. the window, you know. Um, but, the, you know, then there's the color temperature, well, yeah, which changes. So he, all of the pictures he sent me were black and white. Oh, okay. So it was all about tonal range. Uh, okay. But yeah, no, I totally color temperature, you know. Um, if you want it to look accurate, I mean, it tends to shift towards the blue and stuff. Mm-hmm, but they shoot mm-hmm. lots of movies and TV show scenes uh, day for night. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. then it's easier than running around at night. And you still need a little light even to take those pictures uh, at the nighttime. So sometimes it's easier just to do it in the daytime. Um, you, you've got to watch your shadows, though. Yeah, because you—that's that, the that's, telling that's thing. That's the giveaway. Yeah, isn't it? You so know, it's you, it's almost better if it's like a, a, a gray day out. Sure, like an overcast day. Yeah, and then maybe you get a little bit more uh, accuracy out of it. Um, do I do it? Uh, I may have in the past. I don't normally. I've never. I don't have to, but I don't really take those kinds of pictures. I do underexpose a lot of times to make things look seedier, or you know. That kind of thing, or in or in post, darken things down, um, but I don't on purpose to make it look like it was shot at night. At least I don't think I ever have. But yeah, it's it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, and they'll print fine, the, is, especially if you have it so that you know if if in the hallway shot he lit the hallway a little bit more so that the ratio between the outside and the inside was closer, and then stopped all of that down. Then you could get to something that was much more like, oh, there's light coming in from the outside, but it looks like just a street lamp is lighting the outside right, or something. Right, instead of ambient. Yeah, instead of just like the sun blasting and then it's really dark inside. Like it was almost too much, you know. Um, could have been done, I guess, you know, there could have been flashlights and it's dead dark in the hallway, you know, whatever. But the, it can be done, yes, but uh, it's not really my thing. Um, you have any thoughts on that? Um, I've, I've only done it a couple times and it's all been in post. It's all been with with adding layers uh, and blend modes to to kind of cool down the light and and crunch down the shadows and, and that kind of thing. For, for you, you just did it in Instagram. That's right. That's right. I just well, you know, it's all I use is Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's my thing. Well, why, why don't we get into some of that news? What do, what do we got? It, there, yeah. Uh, one of the issues of Sports Illustrated, um, some Instagram photos have made it in. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not bad. They're, they're actually they're, quite good. They are nice photos, which is the thing that it's not because they're Instagram that makes them good photos. They was, these would have been good photos had he been taking them with any camera. Right. 
Right. And, um, and I think that's the, the more important point that seems to get overlooked is, you know, a, a, a Instagram is not going to make a bad photo good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nor will HDR. Nope. <laughs> no. Um, um, and, you know, can you take a good picture with the iPhone? Sure you can. Yeah. Take a good picture with a with a little compact camera from five years ago. Sure, you can. Um, as long as people aren't moving and you're not trying to focus on things fast, or the uh, the the uh, light ratios aren't too crazy, so it's blowing everything out and looking bad. Like as long as those things are intact, sure. Right. Take a picture with your iPhone. Uh, the takeaway for me is is uh, you know great great on the photographer for getting these photos in but I, I i hope that people don't come away thinking that they got in because to your point because they were shot with instagram um yeah i don't it, know you know and it and it it then brings up a question is uh, are are the aesthetics changing because of some of these apps are are the, the the popular aesthetics of or the uh, what is a good photograph? What is a dramatic image? What is a powerful image? Is that? I think I think that it will be. Uh, I don't think the aesthetic is changing. I think it's a little bit of a fad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there were probably examples of Polaroids that somebody took out of a Polaroid six hundred that were in Sports Illustrated at one point in the seventies or eighties. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that I think that the thing that bothers bothers me. The thing that worries me is that people will think, "Oh, all you need is an iPhone to take any picture," and that's the problem that I right. have. You know, that becomes the sort of default tool right. for, the, for like, any job. No, there are limitations to shooting, taking pictures with your phone, and as long as you're within those limitations and you like it, that's great. But you know, it's like a it's a control thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, can Mario Andretti? He died, didn't he? Could Mario Andretti, before he died, you know, drive circles around me in a Ferrari and him in a Ford Focus? I'm sure he could. Sure. You know, but what could he do with the Ferrari? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. It's just kind of uh, it's a whole thing, you know? Well, it, taken on its own, it's it's probably not as significant. But with, with the, uh, the amazing amount of press that compact cameras and smartphone cameras and uh, apps and post-processing and, and all of this kind of thing is is getting the the amount of face time that that's getting versus technique and craft that's that's what becomes worrisome to me yeah yeah that it just becomes a, a press a button thing right yeah right so um, which is why I started taking pictures with my big camera again. <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm glad to see you do that. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm really pleased that you've that you've started that. And it, so now, just to kind of recap, you talked a little bit about it last week, I think. Um, right. One one frame, one subject. Yeah, uh, everyone gets one picture. Um, I've only done two so far, but I'm going to do a bunch more this week. Uh, and and are sh- you keeping the prints or are you giving them to the subjects? Uh, I have kept the first two, but I could certainly give them to them. Um, After scanning them? And how are you scanning them? Uh, you- just I'm letting them dry. I have, I have a Epson 4990. Okay. Flatbed? Yeah. Scanner? Okay. Um, and then I keep, you know, it's funny because with these, there's actually theoretically a negative. There's the paper negative. And a lot of people say that scanning the paper negative is even better. Hmm. 
Um, do, you, do you still have them, the paper negatives? Yeah, I have them. The problem is something about, and I don't know if it's my film holder or something is giving me these like kind of little streaks down the page, um, which I'm cleaning up a little bit in Photoshop. But then these the negatives deteriorate. But the negatives are kind of cool looking. I should take the I should scan or take pictures of the negatives just because they're kind of cool looking. Yeah, um, maybe do a side by side with the prints. Yeah, I mean theoretically the negative the paper negative should have more detail than because you're always it's an analog process so you're always losing something in each generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so theoretically these the the paper negatives should be even better than the prints. But the prints look fine. I mean they're little though. There's these are like you know three point eight inches by four and a half inches. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to blow anybody away, uh, but but they're kind of nice and they're fun, you know. Uh, just you know, a couple lights, static lights, not even strobes, because this stuff is like thirty two hundred speed film. Uh, and then I'm shooting like wide open at like f five point six on a large format, uh, so it's really thin depth of field. It's just kind of fun, something different, you know. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, hey, what else we got on the? Uh, Canon, big, kind of a big announcement, a big little announcement. Yeah, uh, the the new uh, what is this? The EOS M. Yeah, which uh, is an EOS camera with uh, no viewfinder. Right, it's a mirrorless EOS camera that has a, 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 a modified EF mount. Which is the standard uh, Canon camera mount. Will they come with an adapter or will they come out with an adapter that lets you use your your stable of... There is an adapter. There is one. Okay. It does not come with it. Cost $200. $200. $199. Wow. And the problem with the adapter that I've seen is that the adapter kind of sticks out of the camera by about an inch. Mm Mm-hmm. At which point your camera is about the size of a bigger camera. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if you bought so, this and you had the adapter and then you put like a 50 millimeter prime lens on it or whatever it is, then you're almost as big as a small digital SLR. Right. You know, you're as well, big this, as this a thing T3 is not I. tiny. No, it's not tiny, tiny, but it's not big. You know, um, basically it's a T3i in a smaller case. You know, it, it feels like a, more like a, like a Canon... Uh, G10 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or the G, G1X. Right. right, I guess that's the latest one. It's interesting though. Touchscreen, three inch touchscreen. Yep, no um, viewfinder, uh, 1080p video, blah, 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 blah. Literally, it's almost a T3i in a smaller case. Um, I mean, it's it's what, 7.99? 7.99, is that? With a lens, with a, okay, with so a 22 with... millimeter F2 lens. Okay. Which is like basically that. It's basically a modified version of that forty millimeter pancake lens. The I pancake think. lens, yeah, yeah. Did you ever um, shoot with that? No, I haven't gotten one. Uh, my friend Neil got one. He says it's pretty nice. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's nice. You know, if I, if I had eight hundred dollars and I was, I had my lenses and I was like, you know what, I want something small to carry on vacation with me, and I could use all my glass. If it was full frame, I would buy one tomorrow. Yeah. You know, if it was a 12 or 14 megapixel full frame little thing like this that I could plug my lenses, my stuff onto, I'd buy it tomorrow. Um, just for travel and like to you know, walk I, around. I'm kind of surprised that that no one has come out with a full frame, for lack of a better word, point and shoot camera. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, they've gotten closer. I mean, this is, this is, 
look, this is a crop sensor camera. This is pretty good. Uh, my my only thing with it is that I don't have a whole lot of really really wide primes, and I like to shoot wide, so I'm not going to buy this and then buy a 15 millimeter lens to go on it. Right. Um, I just want to use the lenses that I have, which is the whole point of something like this for somebody like me. What is the crop on this? Is it their standard? Was it 1.6? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's 18 megapixels. It's high res. It's nice. I look. It, I think it's a very cool thing. I would recommend this to somebody if they wanted to spend you know eight hundred dollars on a camera once it comes out. It's not coming out until like October. I don't think it's shipping. Hmm. So um, nobody's even played with them yet. But it's funny they have a picture of it on this uh, on Canon Rumors with a EF uh, a seventy two hundred two point eight with IS, which is a big honking <laughs> chunky lens. <laughs> you just got this little box, and on it's the got back this little it. box on the back yeah. of it. Uh, which is cool. I I like looking through a viewfinder. I don't like looking at a screen. Well, it's a, it's a very different mode of shooting. Yeah, yeah. And I'm finding that with basically because I'm I'm shooting more with my iPhone. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it to an extent. Um, I don't like the way I just the stance of holding this thing out in front of you is is strange. Strange how. Well, part of, you know, to, to get sort of, you know, touchy feely, part of the magic of photography is, is seeing the world through the viewfinder. I agree. Is, is losing that which won't be in the frame, you know, um, and, and shooting with point and shoots or, or camera phones, they remove you from that. They remove you from, from that viewfinder, that world through the lens. Um, so then you're subject to all of the, 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 all of the distractions that you would normally be subject to just walking around the world, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and shooting through a viewfinder, it, it restricts your view so that, so that you only see what's going to be in the photograph. It's true. Um, and I like that about photography. It's one of the things that I like the most about photography and, and barring my, you know, lamenting the loss of a darkroom, um, that's kind of the only thing about photography that I really hold on to anymore is, is what it feels like to shoot. That's why, you know, I've, I've said over and over again, my photographs are not that great in my opinion. I'm a, maybe other people have a different opinion, but the quality, the relative quality of them is not important to me. It's the experience of it. That's why I keep shooting is, yeah. is just the experience of, of how a camera changes my perception of the world. I, I completely agree, and you're putting it much better than I ever could. Um, I, it's almost as if when you put your eye up to the camera, you're sort of watching a known movie of your making. Yeah. You know? Yeah, with, without all of the other stuff yeah. that, that, that clouds you. What you're seeing is what you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's the, I think, you know, even for people out there that may be listening and, and, and all they have are point-and-shoot cameras or smartphones, good, great, fantastic. Uh, but borrow uh, something with a viewfinder. Borrow something that you have to put your face to and yeah. and and restrict your vision to just for the experience of it. It's the same you know advice that I would say: experience a darkroom if you can. Experience the smell of of the chemistry and and literally the alchemy of watching a print fade into being on a blank sheet of paper. There is absolutely nothing like it. It's true. Yeah, you know, it's interesting is the uh, um, 
rangefinders sort of are the somewhere in between because often in a rangefinder, there you know, there's the you're looking through the the viewfinder, but then you'll see uh, basically a, a frame outline within the viewfinder that shows you what the picture is that you're taking, mm-hmm. so that you're also seeing a little bit of the stuff around it, which allows you to sort of frame the scene it's sort of like somewhere in the middle right it's like it's showing you a reduction of reality but then it's saying within that this is the picture you're taking so there might be something just out of frame so that changes the way you want to you want to slide a little bit to the left or a little bit to mm-hmm, the right mm-hmm. to like change the composition and that could be very useful too which is a lot of what people love about range fight like shooting with a leica um, yeah I, they, I, they can see you yeah. can see a little bit outside what you're shooting in that allows you to frame something in a, often a much more cinematic way. I like that. But, you know, I've been looking at, uh, I've, I've been reading a couple articles. I, obviously, I'm not able to get a Leica at the moment uh, as much as I would love to. But uh, I'm looking at these, uh, these Electro, the okay. Yashica Electro 35s, um, supposedly a, a pretty nice little rangefinder. You've got your uh, Canonette. I, I have an old Canonette, uh, which uh, I used for a little while. A lot of people like the. I mean, it, rangefinder. Yeah, you can get that kind of thing. I mean, but like regular film cameras. I mean, you could buy a Pentax K one thousand or a Canon AE one. Yeah, for probably know, twenty thirty dollars. <laughs> well, maybe a little more than that, but yeah, for less than a hundred bucks. <laughs> um, if, if you want to play with an old school manual film camera, yeah. Um, those They're were the, the K one thousands were the first ones that I used in uh, in high school. That's what we had in our photo class. That's the first camera that my friend Jeremy made me buy at uh, my first like serious camera that I owned as an adult was a Pentax K one thousand in in nineteen ninety nine. Nice. Um, and my friend Jeremy made me uh, made me buy that because that's what they used in his high school photography class. You know, we we had those, and we had uh, Yashica mats, the one twenty fours. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, which I loved. I, that's another process where you're now you're you're not even looking forward. Now you're 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 looking down to look forward, and and uh, that's another process that I really like. Well, you could probably get one of those pretty easily now. Uh, they're not bad. They're in in good shape. Anywhere from a hundred to two hundred usually on eBay. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Um, I I like I've never you know I've never shot with a uh, twin lens reflex with basically a fake rolly, um, like your Yashica mat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because again you're you're looking you're looking down. I mean you're looking through this 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 yeah. viewfinder, but your field of view is just ground and feet. Right. You all you, you know, know so it's, it's very odd. Well, the, I mean, I've I, my Hasselblad is a look down viewfinder. Sure. Yeah, so um, so you know. Yeah, but but twin lens reflex, I mean, you are shooting with a different lens than you're looking through. Mhm. Uh, which is always just a little bit strange cuz things shift just a scooch. Mhm. You know, scooch by the way is a That's a technical term. A technical term. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, the problem is is that even if you buy one of these cameras, Jeffrey, you're not going to be shooting Velvia for very much oh, what a bummer, huh? Fuji discontinues. Uh, is it the entire okay, Velvia no, line? No, it's uh, uh, okay. So it's Velvia 100F in 35, 120, and 4x5 formats. And they're getting rid of Velvia 50 in 4x5 and 8x10 formats. The fact that they still were making Velvia 50 and 8x10 is awesome. Um, and so they will still have Velvia 50 in 35 and 120. For how long have they have they, they don't said? 
Yeah. Due to decreasing so global go. demand, we've announced the withdrawal of some formats of Velvia, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's an unfortunate consequence of digital capture that some of the slower-selling silver halide lines will drop off the radar. Fujifilm is, will continue to manufacture a wide range of film and increasing blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm sure you will continue for very long until one of those doesn't make it worth it. Wow. Um, but, you know, it's what do you expect? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Velvia is a slide, a Fuji slide film, uh, which is very, very saturated. W- would you say it's uh, it's Fuji's Kodachrome? Um, I think it's very different than Kodachrome. Uh, it's it's. I don't particularly like Velvia, but in terms of their branding of it, it's sort of that's that's their kind of iconic professional color film. Yeah, but Velvia is not that old. Okay. Um, Velvia came out in 1990. Um, as they say on, on Wikipedia here, they say uh, it's quickly became the must try film. Must try. Uh, apparently, it gave Kodachrome 25 some stiff competition as the industry standard in high definition color film. People used to shoot slides a lot more than they do now. Um, professionals used to shoot slides a lot more than they do now. It's easier to scan and it's the process is easier and you can get it done faster. It labs in New York City when like five, ten years ago. You used to be able to get E6 done in, you know, an hour or two. If you're a professional, right. don't you have to call it transparency film, though? Yes. <laughs> you have to get transparent. You know, you just call it E6. Ah, okay. I had a box of E6 dropped off at Dugal, and Fair I'll pick enough. it up in a couple hours. Fair enough. Um, where now, I think it's a half a day minimum, uh, and that's like a rush job. A rush job. Uh, it, it has, it's crazy high res, uh, 160 lines per millimeter. Um very slow film, very, very saturated. All the pictures you see taken in the 90s and the 2000s on on slides that were crazy saturated was most likely taken on Velvia. So landscape people love this stuff. Um, I never liked it. I liked um, the Fuji Provia film. Okay. Uh, and I really like the uh, – I prefer can, uh, uh, Kodak slide film, the like 100G, uh, which is like my favorite Uh the slide film but you know it's film right and it's going away just another example uh, it's kind of sad it's uh, there was a, a talk that david carson gave uh one of the teds i think it was 2007 and uh he he, he does everything on slides or did everything on slides and they they, and they were unreadable because they were in all kinds of hand scrawled fonts <laughs> wise ass <laughs> No. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, the the TED folks they didn't have you know they they didn't have a slide projector. They wouldn't let him. Oh wait, he had them actually as slides. Yeah, he wanted to do slides, and he and he was like you know he's like I love slides, and he goes on to to, to just talk about how much he loves slides and how how you know sometimes they'd be upside down or or then you'd have something really cool happen like one would get stuck and it would start to melt and you know it burn through and all this kind of thing. I loved and, my and, record player because of all the clicks and pops and hiss. <laughs> no, but anyway, that, like, okay, go ahead. So what he said, no, well, that, that was it. It was a very anticlimactic story. I just thought it was kind of funny that he was, you know, here's a guy who's, who's kind of the godfather of graphic design. And, and even he is lamenting film going away. Godfather of crappy nineties graphic design. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's not me, David. If you're listening by any chance, that's not me. I I love you. 
it's all right. We all make our enemies on this show. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't what know. a bummer, though. Yeah, I, I just I hope Ilford doesn't doesn't discontinue HP five. Yeah, why do you use Ilford? Man, this is a techie techie episode. It is a little techie. You know what? I I, I love how punchy it is. Okay. That's it's the blacks are black. They're not dark gray. They're not sort of black. They're black. And the whites are are really white. It's just I I love the contrast. I love how punchy the film is. Okay. Is wait, you know? HP5 is actual black and white, right? What is their What is the yeah, they they have another one that's They have a C41, a C41 black, and white. black and white. Yeah. Uh, this is this I don't I don't think so. Make no, a wire. I I think that's a different one. Uh, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it, when, when printing, I was, I would use Ilford papers, their multigrade paper and their multigrade filters and whatnot. And I just, I really like punchy, contrasty black and white. Although I must say that a lot of the stuff that I'm, that I'm kind of playing with now, I'm, I'm washing those tones back and I'm, and I'm, I'm in this mode of kind of varying shades of gray and and kind of getting away from that that punch interesting but I, I do love the film uh xp2 is the c41 stuff okay um, which I, that, that seems kind of a strange process to me shooting black and white but processing c41 mm-hmm. well mostly it's just so that you could bring black and white pictures to cvs that's why they came out with these films. Okay. Because people okay. wanted to shoot black and white, but they didn't want because a lot of you know, small labs don't do black and white. You know what I mean? Like some like your your drugstore or whatever didn't do black and white. Right. So that this was a way for you to shoot black and white and get it developed quickly. I I do it sometimes because the little lab down the block from me will do C forty one in ten minutes, where black and white they do like once a day. Now what's what's the difference in tonal range? Anything? Uh, it's, it's much more, I mean, if you're looking at the negative, it looks like a, uh, it looks like a color negative, right? It's got that slightly, uh, warmer cast, you know? Okay. Almost um, an amber. The, the, yeah. The gelatin. Yeah. But, okay. but, but I mean, but you know, you're going to scan it and you desaturate it anyway. Sure. Um, it's fine. You know, it looks pretty good. You know what it though? It doesn't look like black and white film. It looks like desaturated color film. Huh? Because I because it's dye, it's not silver. You know what I mean? Yeah, interesting. Uh, it looks a little different. A you know what I do use the Ilford though is the thirty two hundred speed mm-hmm. film. I almost always carry a roll of that with me when I travel with film. Okay, okay. Because I I'll have a like a baggie full of film canisters, right? And one of them will be thirty two. At least one of them will always be thirty two hundred speed film, so that when I'm going through security. I can say, can you please hand check it? I have high speed film here. Okay. So it doesn't have to go through the machine. Have you ever had a problem ever, ever uh, run into the only time that I ever had a problem with U S apparently the U S TSA has to hand check it. If you ask. Okay. Um, I was in coming home from Paris once when I was in, when I went to Japan, I had my film processed there, almost all of it so that I didn't have to worry about any of this stuff. Um, which was an interesting thing going and finding a place that does E6 processing in Tokyo. You know, it's not the kind of place a normal tourist goes. Um, really? Uh, it was, I, I had to find some, it was like this weird hole in the wall place upstairs somewhere. And I mean, they were very nice, but you know, it was huh. all sort of hand gestures and credit cards. Um, 
<laughs> I have no idea what they. I've been in a situation. Uh, like that. I have no idea what they charged me to to do this film. It was like a new room massage, or yeah, uh, um, hand gestures and credit cards. Yeah, that might be the title. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so and so I, I went in there and had it all processed. On the way back from Paris, though, I had some. Uh, some Were you not able film. to get to Zurich? No. Yeah. And uh, did you did you run out of art school pretense in Paris? Yeah, I never went to art school. Uh, so, you know, I just have mine on credit. Um, it, so I was on the way back and I was going through security and I don't speak French, but the girl I was with spoke French. But here's the problem. When we got to Charles de Gaulle Airport, we got on the wrong shuttle from the train and the shuttle we got on went around the terminals the wrong way. So we got to the terminal... You had to be there 45 minutes or an hour before the flight. We got there. Let's say it was an hour before the flight. We got there 58 minutes before the flight, and they wouldn't let us check in. What? For security reasons. So we ended up having to wait for the next flight. But the annoying thing was is that our flight got delayed by two hours. (laughs) So, but because we showed up late, the whoever the security manager guy was like thought us suspicious, and so they checked well, our you, bags. You do look suspicious. Well, they checked our bags once, even before we got to security. Like when we checked in, they checked our bags, like rummaged through them, and then when we were going through security, I wanted it hand checked, and they were like, "No, we don't do that. We don't do that." And I was like, "Please don't put that film through that machine because you're going to ruin half the pictures I took." Um, and they didn't speak any English, and my friend was already through in another line. Finally, so she comes over on the other side and she talks to them and whatever it is. And, and, and I'm like, please just call a manager over, whoever's above you and whatever. And they finally did. And the girls was like, of course we can hand check it. And I was like, oh, it's so frustrating when there's just misinformation. <laughs> Why didn't, don't they have those little bags that you can put the film in? Yeah, but you can't put the film in those bags through the thing because then they can't see what's inside the bag, right? The uh, bags are lead lined, sure. which is the whole point of x-ray machines. <laughs> I guess that makes Hard to see inside, Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> So anyway, the I was gone in science. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they have those bags, but they don't let you put film through in those bags because that's missing the point. Um, So it's it's uh, anyway, they hand checked it was all right. And then they checked our bags a third time on the jetway. Hmm. They totally thought we were like shady terrorists or something because we showed up two minutes late for our plane because we got on the wrong train. So, So terrorists are punctual. Apparently. Yeah, you think if I was a terrorist that I'd show up, like, exactly average in every way. Like, right. Wouldn't that be the point? Anyway. I guess. To blend? Yes. Uh, yeah. But whatever. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, there you go. Film. Velvia discontinued. Or at least Bummer. two different. One Velvia across the line and another one. It's sad. But what are you going to do? People aren't I, using it. Hopefully, then. we'll keep shooting film as long as, as we can. Yeah. Uh, we talked about a lot about stretching ourselves last week. Yes. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, you know, Nikki listened to the show and um, she, she brought up an interesting point that uh, if we could spend a couple minutes on it, Jeffrey, um, you're great, but that Wadman guy, <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly, that, clearly that's not how that went down. <laughs> Don't you think Bill could just do this on his own? <laughs> <laughs> no, he could not. Uh, so she said that you know we we, we were talking about doing things that, that you we might not 
be good at and how that helps you grow, that you're stretching and growing in different areas. But what we didn't talk about was how you make those things your own despite not being good at them. You know, you, you, you have a tendency or, you know, anyone really, we have a tendency to emulate something new to try and learn it. Right. So you're, if you go to Yosemite, you end up taking pictures like Avedon or uh, 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 Ansel Adams. Right. Right. Uh, and if you're doing portraits, you, you end up, you know, emulating someone else. And, and what happens is um, uh, my friend, Father Bill calls it painting with someone else's brush. Okay. And, and it's, it's the same kind of thing. You're shooting through someone else's lens. So how do you, how do you apply your own aesthetic, your own sense of style or, or process, however you want to break that down when you go after something new, when you, when you try a new genre, whether it's shooting weddings as a portrait photographer or shooting sports as a wedding photographer, how do you make those things your own? Or is it necessary to go through someone else? Is it necessary to, to uh, enter into portraits by way of Avedon or enter into street photography by way of Saul Leiter? And I think I thought, I thought that was an inter- interesting point because I know I'm going through some of that myself, um, personal projects, as well as, as doing this ebook project. We, we, we tried to shoot the way we'd seen other people shoot food, for example. And right. it just, it came out looking horrible. And we, we kind of ended up going back to the drawing board and, and starting over and applying our own sense of, of how we shoot to a new medium. And the results have been a lot better. All right. That's fair. Um, yeah, no, I can understand that. I guess my problem, not my problem, my um are you really stretching then or are you just doing what you normally do in another style or not another See, style like another question world? i don't know that's that's the question that i'm that i'm kind of wrestling with at the moment is are you actually is, going anywhere new then you know? right that's that's what i don't know i mean yes we're we're shooting different subject matter um uh, I, I don't know. I can't answer that yet. I, I, I want to keep going. You know, I, I see some portraits that, that I would love to um, explore the techniques that, that, that people have used in them. But again, to your point, am I just going to come back to shooting the way I shoot, but now I'm shooting portraits instead of street or shooting landscape instead of, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, um, so what but, do you, you know, do? You know what? Your your point might be right in that maybe, in let's say in my example, right, taking portraits. Maybe the wall that's holding me back is the fact that I'm taking portraits, right? It's not necessarily how I'm taking portraits. It's that I'm taking portraits. So if I take my vision and just put it into another pursuit, if that's enough of a change to break through some sort of wall. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be, yeah. I mean, I understand what she's saying. I don't know that that... And then maybe through some sort of osmosis, you will naturally aggre- you know, slide into street photography or landscape photography in a way that informs your portrait work when you come back to it. Maybe. And, and maybe that's, that's what I'm trying to get to, is I'm trying to just bring some, some new things. And, and again, I'm not doing this... This is not 
my job as a photographer, but I, but I am trying to improve. I am trying to improve compositionally. I'm trying to improve um, how I see things. Um, but it does it does bring up the question: Is if if I'm taking the sort of trick bag that I that I rely on for X genre and just apply it to Y, is there any growth? Right. You know, and I, I think it was for a long time I did the same thing in in design where I would I would try different styles on different projects, but everything would still have you know drop shadows and use Helvetica or, or you know whatever whatever the examples are. Um, I had an instructor in college that would whenever we would turn in a project, uh, he would say, okay you know, what's the strongest element or what do you like the most about this? Whatever, whatever the project was. And you would say what you liked about it. And he'd say, okay, strip that away and see if it still holds up. Yeah. Because you, you end up relying on these, you use these little crutches over and over and over again. And I wonder if it's the same thing for photography where, where you, you shoot the same way over and over again, or you, or you do the same lighting setups over and over and over again, or whatever you happen to be shooting, you bring those same little tricks to it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, but aren't those tricks for lack of a better word, um, what makes your work your own, you know? Maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, if you, what is the trick that Avedon was using in the American West stuff? You know, like, okay, you know, how do you take that away? And is it still a good picture? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a tough question, and I've been I've been kind of wrestling with it since she brought it up, and I, I I've not come to any answer about it. Yeah, you no, know? it's it's definitely not an easy. It's it's a difficult thing. I think you I know, think I mean, we we can come back to that one because I think I think I think mulling is involved. Yeah, I'd I'd like to come back to that, and I'd love for for people to. Uh, listening to, to kind of chime in on, on what you guys think yeah. um, is, is changing genres stretching or how, how do you stretch? How do you stretch yourselves as artists, as photographers, as writers, whatever it is that you are endeavoring to do creatively, how do you get to that next plateau? What do you do that gets you there? And how do you know if you've gotten there? Yeah. You, you never, you never get there. <laughs> <laughs> look you if you never. get there then you're you know what's the point in that what's the what's the fun in getting there well and that's there's a lot of truth to that that it is it is definitely the journey but how do you how do you gauge where you're at on well, that journey well you know i wrote i wrote in uh, on twitter the other day that like i was lying in bed and i was because i was working on a new just a little aside we i was working on that new website thing right so right sure um and if people want to go see it, you can go look at, uh, what is it? BillWadman.com slash Proto3. Um, you can see the latest iteration that I'm working on. Um, but, uh, and I was going through all my work and I kind of got to this thing where I was like, you know, I think some of my work is good and I think it's, as, you know, holds up well against other people. But I was lying in bed trying to sleep and I was just awake because I was like, you know what? My, I felt sick like actually physically a little nauseous because the pictures that I'm trying to make are not as good as the pictures that I want to make. And the, do the, you see the those pictures somewhere in your mind? 
I feel those pictures in my mind. Okay. Um, it's not that and, and- I like cannot create what my imagination creates. It's that I can't create what my, for lack of a better word, heart aches for. Okay. Does that make sense? And what's the barrier? Do you know? Can you identify what the barrier is between the two? Creativity. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It's tough. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating thing because it's like you can see that you're not there and you can feel what it is that you're going for. You know, it's like when people talk about when they <laughs> I don't smoke weed, but I've heard that, you know, people get high and then they like write and then they come back the next day and look at what they wrote thinking that it was all genius and they look at it and they're just like, wow, this is actually just a bunch of drivel. This is just crap. Yeah. But at the time they were <laughs> they were like, this is amazing. There was just I'm recently Jack Kerouac. Uh, there's an artist that uh, artist illustrator guy. He took a bunch of different drugs and and sketched a self-portrait while under the influence of each of these different drugs Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, maybe we can put it in the show notes because some of them are are really interesting yeah find that i want to see that okay yeah i'll find it we'll put it in the show notes um it's uh not that we're advocating drug use no i just yeah i i don't know i i mean i'm i'm fairly sure that Almost every artist feels the same way we do almost all of the time. Like I when think it comes so. right down to it. Like if you if you if you if you uh, take away the layers of like, oh no, I'm actually really good and I have my thing. You know, if you sc- scrape it away, people are terrified. Sure, and I think those moments of oh, I'm really good. I'm they're very few and far between. If you're being honest with yourself, right, right. I mean, I, whether you're at the top of your game or not, you know, I mean, it, and, and whether you're uh, a photographer or a filmmaker or, you know, I mean, uh, how many times has Scorsese looked at, at dailies and gone, you know what, I, I should have been a delivery man or, or whatever, you know, this is, I'm, I'm just not doing it. It's not, it's not happening. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's the time between those moments that defines your character. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I you think know? that's fair. I don't know. Uh, Deep one this week. It is, yeah. Kind of fun. I think next week we really need to talk about being uninspired. Being uninspired? Yeah. And how to deal with it. And how to deal with it? Okay. Okay. As long as it goes somewhere. No, 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 no. <laughs> just like, as long just as it's not an of, hour of, yeah. no, 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 I'm no. uninspired. No. Um, yeah. Uh, I, you know what? I, yeah. Okay. I've got some ideas, but okay. yeah, I'll save it. Okay. Hey, who's our photographer of the week? Uh, I think it would be Albert Watson. Mr. Watson. Who is like the best ever. Is he the best ever? Is he in your top 10? Yeah, I would put him in my top 10. Although I didn't know much about him up until like a year and a half ago when I met him. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest because here's the problem. I have no education in photography. I have no education in art. Okay. You know, other than, you know, a couple things of art history in, in college. Um, so there are a lot of really big photographers that I have completely gone past just because I never, I never saw them. You know, I was never exposed to them. Um, 
I would completely agree. And, and I've learned of some new ones just in doing the show. Right. Ache, um, Kirtesh. Right. So Albert Watson, I, I belong to a group called PAI, which is uh, Photographic Arts and Imaging, which is uh, a New York City-based club that's been around since like the 50s um, of, of, of people who have – it used to be that they had lunch on oh, the third Thursday of every month. There was like a luncheon at the National Arts Club, which is like this really crazy, cool sort of, you know, private club. Hmm. Um, so you have you have lunch and then there's a speaker uh, for like a 45 minute little show and tell. And they have serious, serious, serious people come in there. Uh, Albert Watson came in last year. Uh, Jay Maisel. Um, Wait, who? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, um uh, Tony uh, Tony Vaccaro, like like big big guys, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the the reason why I know about these people is because they asked me to come in and speak, so I came and spoke a couple years ago. Um, but they have a lot more heavies than I ever, you know. I I am in very good company. Yeah, having spoken at this place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they have these great things, and now they've actually moved to doing it on Thursday nights, the third Thursday of every month. And it's like $30 to get in. You have a little meal, and then you go watch a slideshow. Um, so if anyone's in New, in New York City, I'll put a link for PAI in there because uh, if you want to see really great people you know, doing stuff, then this is the place you want to go. Um, I'll just put a little note in the show notes. There we go. Um, so anyway, Albert Watson came and spoke last year, and I hadn't really known a lot of his work. Or rather, I knew a lot of his work, but I didn't know that he took all of the stuff that he took. Mm-hmm. Um what would people know? People would know the, the Steve Jobs photo right yeah, off. The cover of the Steve Jobs biography was taken by Albert Watson. Yeah. Um, Albert Watson did the posters for Kill Bill. Albert Watson did the famous picture of Hitchcock holding a uh, rubber chicken yep. that you may have seen. Uh, the, there's a Keith Richards one, too, that's really amazing. Uh, it's actually a, it- the Mick Jagger one with the Jaguar. Where he shot, he did, he oh, shot, yeah, right. it, he shot a Jaguar's face and then he shot Mick Jagger's face as like a double exposure. Yeah, so yeah. it's Mick Jagger's like eyes and nose and, st- and mouth yeah, like over like Jagger's. Um, There's a Keith Richards smoking, which yeah. is nice. Um, he's, he's like, he's, he's a monster. This guy. Yeah. Amazing um, photograph of Sean Penn. And he's been around for like 50 years. Um, and he's worked with everybody. He shot everybody. The thing that I really love about him, well, a number of things. First of all, he's been blind in one eye since birth. So he literally sees like a camera all the time because he has no depth perception. Which I Hence think, the book Cyclops. Which I think actually might help. Hey, who designed Cyclops? Oh, who, who was the book designer on that? I can't remember it's, who it was. It isn't, is it? It, it, is, it is David Carson. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> so it, it, what was crazy is that he told some stories when he was given his little speech, right? And he was showing a bunch of work. Um, and in fact, there's a portrait of him. If you go on ontakingpictures.com and you search for Albert Watson, I think you'll come up with a little picture I took of him. Um, the uh, He was telling about how he got started in the business and that he um, – how was – did he walk into some – yeah, that's what it was. I think he walked into some magazine, some fashion magazine. And it was like a big fashion magazine. It was like Vogue, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to shoot for you. And they were like, okay, well, um, 
we don't have any work, but here, we'll give you a model and a budget to do a test shoot for us. And he did, and they used those pictures in the magazine, and that began his career. Yeah, and he's he's kind of been just amazing ever since. Right. Now, here's the thing. If you walked into Vogue right now and said, I have nothing to show you, <laughs> but I want to take pictures for you. Do you think they'll give you a budget and a model? <laughs> yeah. Do you think they'll even let you pass the front gate? Yeah. It, it was just a very different time. Um, and Amazing photographs, though. Oh, he is. He is. He's fantastic. He's also went into uh, doing. He did a bunch of TV commercials, like mm-hmm. hundreds of TV commercials and things. Um, yeah, he did Memoirs of a Geisha and the Da Vinci Code cover, you know, the, the photographs. Um, he shot for everybody, all kinds of advertising. The, the thing, one of the things he showed was he went and shot, um, Tutankhamen's glove, which was like this glove, uh, weaved out of gold threads or some crazy thing, you know, that they found mm. in Tutankhamen's grave. And then he did a diptych of it next to, uh, this glove of the same hand of one of the Apollo astronauts wow. from the moon landings. And it's kind of like, okay, see, this guy gets it. You know, he's putting Tutankhamen next to an Apollo glove. That's just yeah. badass, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, kind of is. But at the same time, he was saying how the, the, the hoops he had to go through, he became like politically, he became friends with all these senators and all this stuff to get people to Smithsonian to let him, you know, the guy is very well connected. And it took him years to do some of these uh, personal projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just goes to show you that, like, a lot of it's all just connections, right? Um, but uh, one of the things that I really love is that if you go to his website and you just flip through some of the stuff, you see a huge mixture of different work, right? It's not like, oh, it's all pictures on white backgrounds or it's all, you know what I'm saying? That, that that his work is varied and he's okay saying here is a body of work here is a couple hundred photographs and it's all over the map and that's okay right you know right and and in some ways I wish that I could have my portfolio be that way because I would rather have my portfolio be uh, eclectic and just sort of um, stand on its own Without mm-hmm. me having mm-hmm. to, to differentiate it, to, to put it into boxes, you know? It's like well, these are I, photographs I, that I take and some of them are landscapes and some of them are product shots and some of them are portraits and some of those, you know, are, are magazine things and some of them sure. are fashion. And it's all just one big pile of work and take it or leave it, you know? And within, I mean, his work is interesting because even within a particular genre there's such a varying degree of style there's yeah. such a different mix of of how he shoots portraits for example he loves that sepia tone though mm-hmm. um yeah if you don't that, know that Chardet cover that he did killing me oh <laughs> uh, that would get you it's beautiful it's uh, absolutely beautiful shot let me see cover of love deluxe yeah 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 yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's a beautiful shot yeah. Um, he likes that sort of uh, sepia, uh, black and white, single light from above kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very, very good at it. Um, he also seems to like like colored gels. He's, he's got a little bit of a McNally thing going on, at least yeah, back it, in the it's day. Just an amazing range, though. I yeah. mean, when you look at not only, uh, again, not only the who, because that's impressive, who he's shot. Yeah. Uh, but 
but how he approaches them and how he shoots them yeah uh, is and, is really inspiring no absolutely and that's that's one of the things that i he uh, i am inspired by him and i aspire to be like him in that i want to be a photographer who's known for being a great photographer not for being a great photographer who shoots x you know okay not for being a great portrait photographer, not for being a great sports shooter. I'm fine being a, a, a great portrait photographer, but I don't want to be, oh, he's that studio portrait photographer. You know? Okay. I want to be okay. like, I take pictures of people and they're all over the place and some of them are conceptual and some of them are straight portraits and some of them look like headshots, but they're all just good pictures, you know? Okay. Um, and I we, think- we need to pick this up then next week because I know you've been going through kind of a funk lately i have been going through a funk and 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 albert watson has been like sort of my hero lately for those reasons man he shot more pictures of uma thurman yeah like billions of pictures of uma thurman um anyway albert watson is 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 the person of the week and we've got photographer of the week and we've got uh we got some links and you found that video. What's that video all about? There's a video. He, it's it, his advice for young photographers. What is his advice? I'm not going to tell you. Ooh. <laughs> if I told you, then you wouldn't need to watch. Can you still buy Cyclops? Uh, I, I believe it's used. It's out of print. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but you can but, buy used uh, hardcover for uh, 12, 12 That's not bad. Wait, like a, what? You can you could buy the used one for $12.36. I wouldn't mind having it uh, just so I could look at David Carson's design work. <laughs> David who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you will learn to appreciate. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to order a copy of this book right now. Are you? Yeah, why not? Now, w- would you go okay, used Cuz I don't know that one. Ex- what is acceptable? What does that mean? You know what it is for me? First of all, I almost, I, I, when in doubt, I try to buy used copies of photo books. Mm-hmm. Although if you're going to click through our links and help support the show, buy the expensive one. <laughs> um, <laughs> buy the new one through Amazon Prime. Yeah. But um, because you know what? Photo books, like unless you're a collector and you're keeping them perfect, you're going to be flipping through them in anything anyway. Right. As long as they're good quality. You know, you're just looking at the pictures, you know? Right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. So I'm just going to find one that's good or very good and, you know, from a seller that looks like they're relatively close to me with cheap shipping. Something like that. Uh, there is one, if you uh, just, we're digressing. We can do this I, I, offline. I've, ar- I've already put it in my cart. So I'll take of course you have. <laughs> of course you have. Um, so anyway, go, right. go take a picture or, or go take a look at Albert Watson. Uh, he's a monster. Definitely one of my top ten. Very cool. Uh, we should do Irving Penn next time. Well, don't tell people. Then they're okay. going to know. It's going to be a Irving Penn on the list. Ugh. What? Now they're going to tune out after 40 minutes because they're like, ah, I know it's Irving Penn. I don't want to. Okay, listen. we're not going to do Irving Penn next week then. <laughs> but see, now that just they just spite. know. They, just, they know that now you're just saying you're not just to get them to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not that conniving. <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> um, we got anything else? 
Uh, nope. Uh, find us on uh, on iTunes. Subscribe if you haven't already. Yep. Uh, maybe leave a review or a rating if you uh, are so inclined. That would be great. Um, we are positive also on reviews the, are better. We're on the uh, the Stitcher Smart Radio now. Yes, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, um, so if you want to listen to us there, you can find that there. Uh, you could find us at uh, at Bill Wadman and at uh, Jeffrey Sidoris. E R Y double D one R. That's it. That's it. Uh, and uh, email podcast at ontakingpictures.com. That's right. Uh, yeah, the the reviews are cool. We you know uh, most viewers or most listeners uh, most downloads ever last week. So we're growing, which is good. And so, hey, have have people taken advantage of the? Uh, the sample, the Red River sample pack. I wonder. Oh, Red River! If you if you haven't, uh, seven ninety nine for a sample pack, and uh, you could do much worse buying paper. It's but true, you, but you can't do much better. Yeah, it's uh, let's see, it's uh, what is it? Red River Paper doc or Red River Paper dot com slash OTP. Yeah, you can find all the offer codes. Yep. Anything else? I think that's it. Okay. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Yeah, see you next week.